Good to see you this morning. I hope you've had a great week and a good summer. Pardon us for uh, the lights dimming. We had an electrical box this week that we had to change over and the dimmer's not fixed on the light. Can you all see your Bible? Because that's more important than hearing my mouth. I can assure you that. Uh, if not, you can move over to the sides. Nobody bites here, I don't think, unless you try to get their lunch. But nevertheless, hope you can see your text this morning. Turn to God's Word in Psalm 29, and I want to talk to you today about hearing the voice of God. Hearing the voice of God. <clears throat> this past week, or a week or so ago, there was an oak tree that was near our home that was about probably a half of a mile from us. I can remember being a kid driving by these two huge oak trees, monster trees. A couple of weeks ago, Karen and I were actually sitting on the porch one evening and you could see the clouds billow over the mountain. And I mean, it just got the humidity and you could just feel it in the air, something was coming. Well, the tree in our yard began to whip and sway back and forth. I have a little weather gauge. It was like 60-some mile an hour winds, and I just knew that that tree that we love in our front yard was going to come right over onto our house because that's how, that's how hard it was ripping. Well, lo and behold, one of our neighbors down the road posted a picture of this huge oak tree that we drove by ever since I was a kid. And folks, I am not kidding to you. It actually twisted it, ripped it off the stump, and laid it over on the ground. When you drive by it, you can just see it, it literally just took it and ripped it and pulled it over. Now, some people may call that Mother Nature's fury, but those who know God's Word realize that God the Father is the one who controls the storm, not Mother Nature. And that's what we're going to learn this morning. King David wrote Psalm 29 as a testimony to God's people and also to God's enemies to let them know that the power that you hear in a storm is either the power that's going to save your life and guide you or it's the power that's going to judge you for all eternity. So as David writes Psalm chapter 29, I want to give you a, a brief outline. Here is the message of the psalm. While God sits and judges his world, he does thankfully bless his people. So here's a quick outline of the psalm, and I'm just going to read through it, go through these major points, and then make some practical application on how you and I hear God's voice today. How do we do that? Psalm 29.1 reads this, and it's an open invitation, <clears throat> a psalm of David. David writes, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Some translations will say, sons of God, <clears throat> sons of Elohim. So this has the idea that David here is not talking to human beings. He is actually talking to heavenly beings up somewhere in God's temple. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Now, for those of you who are familiar with some passages in the Bible, let me remind you of just a couple. Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is taken up into the throne room of God, and he sees the seraphim and the cherubim all bowing to God. 
And they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. David being a prophet, most people think that David was actually one of the people that was actually taken into the presence of God to see some of this. We don't know that, but perhaps that is the background from which David is saying, he's talking to the heavenly beings and saying, you worship God, ascribe to him the glory that's due to him. Now, as a response to that, what should we do? If God's getting glory in his heavenly temple, what should happen here on earth? God's people should certainly ascribe or give, as the word could be translated, give him glory. Now notice this phrase is going to start coming up several times, the voice of God. Notice it in verse 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, 9, the voice of God. So God's voice is going to roar over the waters. Look in verse 3, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. So here David is seeing a storm being brought up from the oceans and brought upon the land. And he said that is God's voice that's making that happen. Later on he's going to reference the flood. By the way, the word, the Hebrew word for flood here is only used one other time with that exact word and it has to do with back in Genesis chapter 6 where God flooded the earth. So he sees here the voice over the waters. Now notice God's power is not just over the waters, it's also over the nations. Look in verse 5. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. If you know anything about these trees, some people say they lived a thousand years. Now you have to pause for a moment. How many of y'all have been to Yellowstone? How many people have ever seen, the? is it the great sequoia? How you pronounce that tree? Red, whatever it is. Massive, huge trees. The cedar in Lebanon was used to build God's temple. They shipped it and transported it all over the world. And David here says that when God brings his storm on the water, a thousand-year-old tree can be snapped at God's very breath. If God decides to bring a storm through, God can break it. How many of you all remember Hurricane Katrina? I was reading this past week again about it. Obviously, we lived through it. One of the most unbelievable storms that happened in the United States. One person said that Katrina left a trail that was the width of basically Britain, the United Kingdom. It came through and left a path. It was a monster, huge storm in its being. Who creates something like that? Who makes that happen? And now the question goes, is God sovereign over storms? Well, let me just answer that for you. Absolutely, He is. Does God cause earthquakes and hurricanes and so forth? Whether He causes them or not, He is certainly sovereign over them. He can diminish them. He can direct them. He can steer them in whatever place He wants them to be because Scripture recognizes that God is the God of creation. Sometimes God uses natural disaster to get our attention. We may not like that view of God. We may have this view of God that God could never let anything bad happen. If that's the view we have of God, you have the wrong God. 
Because sometimes God does let bad things happen to get people's attention and to show them His power and His glory. When the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, do you know what it means to fear God? It means to fear God because He is a whole lot bigger and more powerful than we are. When I was a kid growing up, they came out with these shirts, no fear. And I'm afraid we've instilled that in our generation. No fear. No fear of God. No fear of anybody or anything. I am the only one that is to be feared. That is a pitiful view of man in light of God. And David here writes that God is powerful over the nations. He snaps a cedar, even a cedar in Lebanon, off. Verse 6, he makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and uh, Siren like a young wild ox. Perhaps he's watching this storm and he just sees things blowing all over the place. God's voice does this. And then you see God's voice over the wilderness. Not only is he more powerful than the north, now he's going to go down to the south. Watch what he does. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Does anybody remember what Kadesh was? Kadesh Barnea. This is where the children of Israel went out into the desert and they wandered for 40 years to get up to the promised land. Not only is God the God of the mountains, God is the God of the desert. Wherever creation is, The omniscient God, the all-present, all-powerful God is there and He's over His entire creation. Verse 9, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. All in His temple cry glory as they see this. Glory! Can you imagine this? Glory. Glory. When next time you see a powerful thunderstorm go through, and by the way, you're talking about creating energy. Some people have said there is enough power in a severe thunderstorm that is equal to an atomic bomb. Now, I'm not a meteorologist. I don't know how you measure kilowatt or any of that type of power from a storm. You can do the research on it, but let me just say, a storm and a flash of lightning are very immense and powerful. God Almighty is big. And when He decides to bring judgment and wrath, He can get the attention of people. So what is the response of this? Verse 10, notice this response. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. Here's the word. What David's basically saying is, you want to know who was responsible for the universal flood? Well, I can answer that for you. God. You all remember the context of the flood? God came to Noah and told him to build an ark because it was going to rain upon the earth. And Noah said, what's rain? The heavens are going to open. The depths are going to open. Water's going to come from the top and the bottom. God would break the wells and the streams from underground to come up and the heavens would let loose. And he said that he would flood everything on earth. A universal flood. Meaning that the entire planet Earth was covered in water. There's evidence for that. I don't have to sit here and try to prove it. I'm simply saying that God flooded the Earth. And when He did that, why did He do it? 
Genesis chapter 6 says that every thought and every action of man was wicked continually. They would not turn. They would not repent. There was no fear of God. So when they wanted to have it their own way, God brought judgment. And He got their attention. And only Noah and his family were spared. Because Noah feared God and Noah walked with God. And by the way, folks, whether this is popular or not, that's not our opinion to see whether it's popular. Our message is if you don't know God the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son, and His death on the cross, you will face worse than this wrath. The world that you and I live in is filled with people walking around today. Romans chapter 1 says that the wrath of God is abiding upon them. They're one breath from wrath. And for us not to share that truth with them is not nice. Now we have to learn how to do it. We have to be wise in how we do it. But nevertheless, God called us to be His witnesses. To tell the world that one day they will face Him either in judgment or in blessing. The voice of the Lord was over the waters. He is enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as King for how long? Y'all say it loud. Forever. The Lord sets as King forever. You said, you mean to tell me that God is King while all this craziness is going on in this world? I mean, Russia is overtaking Ukraine. China now wants to overtake Taiwan. And dear Nancy went over there and stirred the whole pot up. I'm not getting political. I'm simply saying now China's out in the sea shooting rockets all over the place. You know, this world is like a ticking time bomb. You know what's happening in Israel today? They have now fired rockets over into the West Bank. Now Iran is mad at Israel, saying that Israel is now uh, uh, trying to make some kind of attack on them. So now Iran is threatening to attack Israel. Turkey is sitting up to the north, just rubbing its paws, waiting to come down into Syria and Lebanon and that area. The whole Middle East is basically melting. It's like a melting pot getting ready to explode. And here's China and here's Russia flexing their muscle. And where is the United States? Where are we? We're over here in our wokeism. Not knowing left from right, up from down, and acting like we don't care. And God has saw fit during this time to put you and I in this country, in this area, in this city, in this town, in this county to share His message of hope and His message of blessing and glory through the person of Jesus. Because I've got news for you. You or I will not change the world's events. You want to know why? Get ready. Because God sits enthroned as King of the universe forever. And the sovereign God in all of His knowledge and wisdom is allowing things to do exactly what He is allowing them to do. And then God is going to use all of this mess that you and I can't change. And by the way, stop your anxiety about what's going on in the world. It, it doesn't change a thing. The only thing it does is make our blood pressure medicine go up. The world events cannot be changed by our worrying Almighty God is stirring the nations 
to bring about His plan and His purpose on the earth. Now, if we don't believe that, we don't know the God of the Bible. And sometimes God uses wicked kings to do that. If you go back in the Old Testament, you read the book of Daniel, or you read through the the writings of the prophets to Israel, God used Assyria, not very nice people. God used Babylon, modern day who? Iran. Modern day Iran. God used Babylon, Iraq, Iran. The border was a little bit split there. They pretty much owned the whole territory. God used them to judge and rule the earth. And then God used, who who was the third empire? Rome. God used Rome. And then the Roman Empire was not defeated from an outside force like Assyria or Babylon. How was Rome defeated? It rotted from within. And it disintegrated and fell apart. Now... According to God's Word, and if we listen to God's Word and we actually believe it means what it says, there will be another empire that rises to power. And somebody will be a world dominance who will come up on the scene and they will try to overtake and rule the earth and they will put a man who will be indwelt and empowered by the devil himself called the beast and the false prophet and that man will try to unite the earth and he will try to rule. He will be given supernatural powers to be able to do things that people would point to and say, yes, that's the man. He has to be from God. And do you know that while all that's going on, God sits as the enthroned king forever? As a matter of fact, and if you want to come to the Revelation study, here's a little primer. Who is it that starts the tribulation period? Is it the devil? Please don't say yes. It's Jesus. Revelation chapter 6. The wrath of the Lamb has come. Hide us from it. He is the one who starts the tribulation period. He is the one who's in control of it. He is the one who decides when the seals, trumpets, and bowls take place. God Almighty sits enthroned forever. He is King forever. Now, Here's the part that applies to us. Are you ready? Verse 11. May the Lord give strength to His people. May the Lord bless His people with what? Shalom. Peace. In the midst of all this chaos and God's voice and ripping and ruling and reigning in the nations and God stirring and doing all this, what does He want His people to have? May He give strength to His people We're not weakened when we see God's judgment. What are we? We're empowered. That's our God. And then not only may He give us strength, may He bless His people with what? Peace. What is the greatest testimony that a believer has in the midst of a chaotic world? What is it? Peace. Peace. You know what that means? That means not acting like everybody else. Because we have God's peace. When pandemics, pandemics, epidemics, and everything else happen, what does God want His people to do? Be at peace. Be at peace. What's the worst thing that could happen to us? Okay, we get sick and wake up in heaven. I mean, how bad's that? 
And then eternity starts and we're waiting on our resurrected body and we live on a new heaven, a new earth after the millennial kingdom. And we live that way forever and ever. And based upon what we do in this life determines what we do in our eternal life state. How faithful were we here? That'll determine what we do in the new heavens, new earth, even during the millennial kingdom. Were we faithful to what God gave us here? If we're faithful to little, God will give us much. So the way we live our Christian life here really does matter. And in light of that knowledge and knowing this truth that we're going to live for Jesus irregardless whether people like it or not, whether people listen or not, and we're not being dogmatic and you know just we're going to fight. We're simply saying we're going to live for God despite what the world says because we know this is not it. There is reward and a future for God's people. And in light of that, we're going to live for Him and we are not going to fear man. We fear God. And when we do that, God gives His people strength and He gives them peace. Now, to get to the practical side of the message, as if that weren't practical, that's very practical, I want to answer a few questions here uh, after I share a few lessons about this psalm. First, what do we learn from this psalm? Well, we learn, first of all, that worship is about giving to God what He deserves, not getting what we want. A lot of people approach worshiping God not in bowing, not in lowering ourselves and humbling ourselves because of His goodness and His greatness, we consider worship whether or not we like a song or whether it makes chills go up us or whether something moves me and makes me feel good. That is not worship. Worship is when our heart and in our spirit we bow before the greatness of God. You want to know why? Because He's big and God's great and He's good and God does exactly what He says He's going to do. And this is what it means when we worship God. We do that with our innermost being. Sometimes we express that in song. Sometimes we express that by Scripture. Sometimes we express that by sharing. But that is how it goes when we give glory and worship to God. So worship is not about how we feel. It's about God getting what He deserves. The second lesson we learn is that the power of God's voice should lead us to fear Him. I think I've actually beat on that one enough, haven't I? God is very powerful. Very powerful. The third, while God ultimately judges the world, He will give blessing to His people, and the reason He will is because of the eternal life that we have in Jesus. What did Jesus do for us? Christian prayed that this morning. As a pastor, your heart explodes when you hear people pray good theology. Did you hear what Christian prayed? Lord, thank You for our righteousness. What does righteousness mean? It means to be exactly right with God. How do you and I get righteousness? It's not by giving money. It's not by attending church. It's not by being a good person. It's not by having more good works than you do bad. The way we get righteousness is we accept the righteous Jesus Christ and His death on the cross as the full payment for our sin. You and I have a sin that we can't pay. And this wrath of God abides over anyone who has not had their sins forgiven. But when a person believes that Jesus died on the cross and paid the full penalty of our sin 
and we accept Christ as our payment for sin, God does this great transaction. It's amazing. He takes our sin and what we deserve as judgment, and He took that and He puts it upon Jesus on the cross. And then He takes from Jesus His righteousness and He gives that back to us. The great exchange, our sin for His righteousness. And therefore, when God the Father looks at His child, He sees us as righteous as Jesus Himself. Sometimes I ask you the question, how righteous do you have to be to get into heaven? That's a great question to ask people. And sometimes they'll meander around and say, well, I'll do the best I can. That won't cut it. You have to be as righteous as Jesus Himself. You say, well, that's impossible. No, it's not. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1.31 He's our righteousness. And so when we have that in our life, God blesses us. Now, we also have to learn in our daily life how to discern the voice of God. David here was seeing it in the storm, in the power of the storm. How do you and I hear the voice of God? And this is a whole message. I'm just going to glance over this. How can I hear God's voice today? What time is it, by the way? I shouldn't even ask that, but I don't want to go too long-winded. What? Oh, I got 45 minutes. Never mind, I don't. How can you hear God's voice today? In other words, if you ask this question, what is God's will for my life? Lord, I want to know your will for me. How can I answer that? I'm actually going to preach a whole series of messages on this. Who do I marry? Where do I go to school? What job do I take? Do I buy this house? Do I not buy this house? How do you know God's will? Well, thankfully, the will of God is much simpler than that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you some scriptures and you'll have to write them down because I don't have time to go through all of them now, but you can study this before I preach this series. But there are several places in God's Word where it mentions what the will of God is. First of all, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now I want to tell you what the will of God is for you young people and old people too. It's that if you are not married to your wife legally and lawfully by the state and the code, you are not to have sexual relationships. That is the will of God for your life. Now, let me say this quickly. If we violate God's will in that matter or the others, then to expect to hear something from God or to be led by God or whatever, that's kind of hard to do. That's kind of like saying no and then expecting you know, to hear yes. So that is the first will. Second, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, same book. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So what is God's will? First of all, we are to stay sexually pure and clean. I know that's hard in this, this life, but it's not impossible. Second of all, we are to give thanks. What does the text say? In all circumstances. All circumstances. Does that mean when things go bad? 
Now, now, hold on now. I'm not up on a high horse here. This is one of the hardest things to do in the Christian life. When things don't go our way, something breaks down, something happens, we really see our nature. When we don't get our way, we understand how selfish we really are. You know, do you know what God tells us? The will, my will for your life, my child, in Christ Jesus, my will for you is that in whatever circumstance I allow in your life, you are to give thanks. That's number two. Number three, First Peter two. I'm sorry. Yeah, First Peter chapter two, verses twelve through fifteen. Listen to what Peter writes. Live such good lives among the unsaved people that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. That has the idea, by the way, that when people persecute you and God comes back in His wrath, He will use their persecution of you as part of their judgment. And they will give glory and say, Yes, Lord, I should not have treated that believer like that. I'm going to tell you something, folks. It is not good to poke on someone's child. You know, when you're a parent and you watch another bully kid go over and poke on your child, there's only so much that a, that a dad or a mom can take. And then either dad a bear or mama bear come out and somebody does something about it. And let me tell you something, God is the same way, but, hear me closely, sometimes God doesn't always bring that out in the time that we think. Sometimes God may allow our life to be taken in persecution, but that doesn't mean God forgets, and that doesn't mean that God doesn't bring vengeance in His time. So Peter is writing, saying, if people are persecuting you for living a godly life, that's fine. One day they're going to give glory to God for the way they treated you when He returns. So submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor is supreme or governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who are doing right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So what is God's will? We are to be pure. We are to give thanks in all circumstances. And we are to live a life that brings honor to God in spite of persecution. Now, how do we come to that? Well, I just did it for you. We take God's Word, what He wrote. This is how you hear God's voice, folks. You read His Word. And you study it. And you trace things like will of God, voice of God. And then you rightly divide God's Word. I am not David. I am not Samuel. God does not deal with me like Isaiah. I've never been up into the temple of God. I've never heard a voice from God audibly speak. Uh, that's me, okay? Now, I know we got all kinds of people all over the place here, but what I'm trying to say to you is the majority of the time, the majority, I am a cessationist, which means I don't think God speaks today. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. I don't think God speaks today audibly and out loud as something normal. You know, in other words, could God do that? Well, absolutely He could. You know why? Because He's God. But I don't think God does that normally. On special circumstances, possibly. I don't know. 
Never happened to me. Uh, and even though I grew up with my grandmother and all of them entrenched in the Pentecostal movement. You know, when I was five years old, I used to run under the church pew when they would take me to church because they'd try to drag me up to the front speaking in all kinds of weird languages. I was a kid. They scared me to death. One time the preacher came back to the back and was looking up under the pew trying to get me out of that pew to drag me up to the front to have me prayed for. Now, they probably meant well, but I'm going to tell you something. They scared me to death. I don't think that's how you hear the voice of God. I think you hear it through His Word. Very clear here, three ways we hear God's will. There's more, but I have to stop there. So, through study and meditation on God's Word, we hear God's voice. I think there's a second way, and that is through the wise counsel of other people who know God's voice. You know, if if you're at a dilemma in life and you don't know what to do, whether to do this or that, it is oftentimes very wise for you to go and talk to another believer who has both life experience and knowledge of God and His Word and share your circumstance with them and then allow them to speak into your life. And let me share something with you here, folks. This is why the idea of having only a young church is really bad. First of all, it's not biblical. Because if you read 1 Timothy, Paul talks about the older men teaching the younger men and the older women teaching the younger women. We need older folks who have walked with Jesus for years to be able to speak into our life. And one of the greatest mistakes that a young Christian can make is to walk away from a church because it's not all like them. God designs it that way. So that we have people who have walked with Jesus for many years. And I promise you, if you get to know them in their life, they've been through quite a bit. And most of them won't tell you unless you sit down and ask them. But they have wisdom to share with us from experiencing God's Word and living and walking and seeing how the earth works. They can help you and me too. Because believe me, I still ask. I still ask. Always be teachable. There's a third way we hear the voice of God, and that is by prayer. By prayer. The specific context of James is where people are suffering and they don't know why. Why, if any man is in affliction and trial, what should he do? Well, we know from God's word he should give thanks in all circumstances. But the second thing he should do is he should pray. If any man lacks wisdom while he's going through that trial and problem, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who will give wisdom basically to any who ask of him. So there is wisdom to be found in prayer. And so we need to pray. If there's one area of my life that struggles and is an absolute battle, a battle, to do is this last one, prayer. I heard another pastor, so I felt good this, this week. He, he'd been in a ministry for 17, 18 years, and he was leaving his church to go into another ministry. And somebody asked him, what is, your, what is your major regret? He said, my most major regret is that I didn't listen to the voice of God through prayer. 
I should have prayed a whole lot more. And as he said that, I thought to myself, right here, I stand guilty. I stand guilty. I need to pray more. And I think if we were all honest, we would all say that. So let me ask you a question today. What do you think God is saying to you? Is there something in our life that we need to change? Is there something in our life that that we need to do based upon what we know about God and His Word? Well, let me say this. If that is true, and by the way, only you can answer that. If that's true, I leave you with the writer to the Hebrews' words of counsel. As he quotes a psalm, he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Is He calling you into salvation? Maybe you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you have asked Jesus Christ to be the Savior of your sin, to pay your penalty that you couldn't pay. You have never asked Him to be your Savior. Well, I encourage you today, as God's Word says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That is God's message to us. You know, another will of God passage, Second uh, Peter talks about it's not the will of God that people perish. He wants people to trust Christ as their Savior. That is the will of God for you that you believe on Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But let's say that you're a believer here. You've trusted Christ as your Savior and He's speaking to you in the sense of you know exactly what you need to be doing. You know that. And you know it's God's prompting, leading, if you want to call it that, through truth in His Word. What should you do about that? Today, as the Spirit says, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Do not. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for the instruction and the counsel it gives us. Thank You for the picture that it paints of who You are. You are a great, majestic, awesome God. Thank You for loving, sinful people like us who oftentimes do harden our hearts from You. Father, I pray that if any person here doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, maybe they're watching online or they will watch, I pray that Your Spirit will do the work in their heart that draws them to You. And when they sense the drawing of the Spirit, that they will respond by belief and trust in Jesus. Do that, Father, and may You get the glory from it. But I also pray for believers today. We live in a world of sin and problems. Sometimes we're lured into that, Father. I pray today You'll give us wisdom and strength to be able to say no to what You say no to and to be able to say yes to Your will. So help us to hear Your voice and not harden our hearts as we respond to You. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You for Your Word. 
We ask your blessings on our week and our day. It's in his name we pray. Amen.